This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 15th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The call for regulation or prohibition of so-called hate speech has grown just a bit louder recently with pieces supporting restrictions in two of the largest newspapers in America. But the arguments for relatively less than unfettered freedom of speech don't hold up, according to Cato's Matthew Feeney. We spoke this week. There have been a couple of pieces that have been published uh, fairly recently, first in the uh, New York Times in early October and then uh, much more recently at the at the end of October uh, in the Washington Post that essentially make the argument that the two headlines are free speech is killing us and the other headline is why America needs a hate speech law. And some of the, the general tenor of these, uh, the claims that are made by these, these two authors, and, and, and I think, it, frankly, it's a little surprising that two major American newspapers uh, chose, to, chose to publish these things. Um, is that uh, is the notion that speech, unpopular speech, uh, what one author calls noxious speech, is actually causing tangible harm in America and that we need to do something about it. I think that one of the more striking parts of the these, these articles and a trend we've seen recently of people calling for America to have uh, hate speech laws is how, uh, frankly, undeveloped a lot of the the ideas are. Uh, one, the the article you discussed uh, briefly, the the Washington Post article was uh, depressingly enough actually written by a former journalist and a former diplomat who seems to make a couple of errors in uh, arguing for why America needs a, a hate speech law. Uh, one is uh, just historical. Uh, it's quite interesting that in the article, the author talks about uh, hate, hate speech laws that have been written since World War II, uh, saying that uh, these laws have uh, started out as protections against the kinds of anti-Semitic bigotry that gave rise to the Holocaust. What, what he doesn't mention is that actually the Weimar Republic did have uh, what we today would call hate speech laws, and they certainly weren't sufficient uh, to deter the rise of the Nazis. And, and there's, of course, the, the broader question, which I think uh, people struggle to define, which is, well, what is hate speech and who gets to decide what hate speech is? Uh, and, and these are important questions, and they're not flippant. Uh, anyone with the uh, authority to put people uh, in prison uh, is also in these kind of situations the same people who define what the law is. Uh, and that should worry anyone who values free speech. The Washington Post piece that you mentioned is by Richard Stengel, uh, the author of a book called Information Wars. He was the State Department's Undersecretary for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs uh, in uh, the Obama administration. He writes, as a government official traveling around the world championing the virtues of free speech, I came to see how our First Amendment standard is an outlier. And at least uh, to that extent, I'm not quoting him now. Uh, people like Fleming Rose uh, at the Cato Institute would agree the United States is definitely an outlier. But he goes on here and says, uh, quote, even the most sophisticated Arab diplomats that I dealt with did not understand why the First Amendment allows someone to burn a Quran. Why, they asked me, would you ever want to protect that? And you know, I guess leaving aside uh, the fact that uh, Arab countries don't really have a very good record when it comes to protecting unpopular speech, uh, this really seems like uh, a, a straw man. Well, it, it sure is. And one of the more uh, depressing parts of the article is that he goes on to say that, that it's a fair question, uh, that diplomats from countries that uh, don't have anything like uh, freedom of religion or freedom of speech are somehow baffled that uh, in countries with free speech, you permit people to 
uh, burn religious texts. And it's uh, it's strange for him to uh, put forward uh, sophisticated Arab diplomats as people putting forward uh, fair questions, because you would hope that a journalist and a former diplomat would understand why it's important in a free society to allow people to destroy religious texts. Uh, the you, you can certainly point to costs of free speech, and you've seen a lot of this recently, that uh, people make the connection between uh, speech that they find online and violent actions. Uh, but we should also consider, even if you accept that those uh, kind of, that kind of rhetoric leads to violent actions, which isn't always as obvious as I think people think it is, uh, we should think, of course, of the benefits, which is that people can practice their religions, can debate theology, can uh, argue with people, uh, which is a far more civilized and tolerant way to run a society than one where people uh, face criminal sanction for expressing their own inner consciousness and beliefs. Do you think that this sentiment has support in Congress? I know you and I have talked about Josh Hawley, uh, the senator from Missouri. He wants to regulate Facebook. Uh, You know, my big concern is that uh, the people on the left and the right, all of whom have a lot of speech that they don't like, will find some piece of legislation that they ultimately agree on. Uh, to severely curtail speech, in fact, maybe a constitutional amendment to that effect. I do think you're correct to to point out that uh, free speech seems to be under bipartisan attack these days. Uh, however, I, I think it's unlikely that we'll see any kind of federal legislation that passes. Uh, one is I, I don't think that we can get or the politicians can get some kind of consensus on what language would look like. And uh, even if we did, we have a, a little thing called the First Amendment in the Supreme Court that would probably put a a stop to the kind of uh, legislation that you you hear people discussing. Uh, the the U.S. does not have uh, hate speech laws, and I think uh, Americans who value civil liberties should uh, rejoice with that fact. Uh, the 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 unfortunate reality is that even in many countries that we would consider free compared to many others in the world, nonetheless do have uh, hate speech laws and do have. Uh, laws and regulations in place that stifle uh, the kind of speech that fortunately we see uh, quite regularly here in the United States. And it's not, of course, to celebrate a lot of this kind of speech. Uh, no one uh, is is going to look at the kind of speech you can find on the internet with uh, with unblemished glee. Uh, there's a lot of nasty stuff out there, but the fact that there's nasty stuff that you can find on the internet is not an argument against speech per se. Uh, the 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 right way to uh, address this kind of vile speech is to put forward better arguments and to make sure you're you're reaching the people who are consuming it. Something that doesn't get appreciated enough, I think, is that you risk making the uh, the speakers of bad speech more strong by uh, by shutting them down with, with criminal sanction. I mean, nothing is going to boost the ego of someone more than uh, than them being able to portray themselves to their listeners as an enemy of the state or someone that's feared. Uh, that That's the kind of attention I don't think we want a lot of these uh, vile people uh, to have. And uh, while, while I appreciate that some people are concerned about a lot of the speech that uh, we can find out there, uh, passing hate speech laws is just not the, the right solution. So uh, with respect to speech online that we don't like, um you know, Facebook has has taken uh, one tact with uh, with political advertising. Um, Twitter has taken another one. Uh, Reddit, which doesn't, uh, I, I know they do accept advertising, but Reddit it seems has, um, I guess a a more interesting way of dealing with it. You can essentially vote comments out of existence, mm-hmm. and the and and the things that are supremely unpopular just 
don't exist, but they also have these separate communities where people – where different things might get voted out of existence uh, than they would in a different community. Mm-hmm. Is there, in in your view, some sort of technological fix that uh, we ought to be thinking about with respect to just – uh, one, you know, getting access to compelling opinions that we don't agree with, but also uh, stuff that we know to be hateful that we simply so sort of issue it and toss it aside. The kind of diversity that you've outlined between Reddit, Facebook, and Twitter is exactly what you would expect in a market environment where these different firms are trying to figure out exactly how to moderate the kind of content that people put out uh, onto the internet. Uh, and and it's worth stressing that uh, all of the companies that, that you mentioned uh, restrict speech that would nonetheless be legal under the First Amendment. And in the wake of uh, uh, content like the uh, Christchurch shooter video, you saw a lot of private firms working very hard to take down uh, the video, even though it is First Amendment protected speech. So there's certainly a technological uh, discussion to be had about how best to remove content that's objectionable uh, that these these firms don't want their users to see, and that technology is being refined and and uh, improved upon all the time. And and more interestingly, though, perhaps is discussions you've seen in in the the tech world of trying to trying to highlight uh, the objectionable content out there. Uh, for example, forums uh, that try to instruct people of how to join. Uh, jihadist movements in the Middle East, and how these uh, firms can inject moderating influences uh, before uh, conversion fully takes place. And that's an interesting discussion that's happening uh, in Silicon Valley and elsewhere around the world. And and what's interesting, though, is to to remember that, that people who call for there to be more government involvement in speech risk uh, hampering those kind of efforts, risk there actually being a proliferation of extremist content. You'll sometimes hear people saying, well, why don't these platforms just adopt the First Amendment as their standard? And and the reason is, is because a lot of uh, really objectionable content that people don't like is nonetheless protected. And the best way to tackle this kind of content is not to try and shut it or to mandate criminal penalties for the people that created, but is to make sure that we have uh, an environment, which we do have fortunately with the internet, where people can discuss and address these kind of vile beliefs without having to get the government involved. Matthew Feeney directs Cato's project on emerging technologies. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.